0: As you are making your way to Second Corinthians, where we'll get there in just a second, uh, uh, for those I've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Mark Dooley. I had the privilege to serve as a pastor, the senior pastor here for 11 years. I'm still a member of this church, but uh, I'm never here. Uh, for the last four years, I've been serving with the Baptist Convention of Maryland and Delaware, and that has me out in other churches. As a matter of fact, next week, I'll start a string of preaching at six different churches throughout the upcoming weeks. But then beyond that, I plan to be here, or I'm going to be able to be here a whole lot uh, more. But it's always very encouraging to me, Pastor Jason, every time I come back, I'm seeing new faces, and I'm meeting new people. And I think that speaks to the health of a church. It has been a crazy week for our family, a crazy two weeks. Uh, Two weeks ago today, I was able to be in church. After church was over, my Wife Karen and my daughter Rachel, who was on the keys, the three of us went down to the hospice house in Callaway and uh, stood by the bedside of a dear friend, a neighbor who who passed away that afternoon, Sunday afternoon. And uh, I preached his funeral down at Brinsfield this past Wednesday. And then, of course, as Wayne was praying earlier, in case you didn't know, uh, you know, my mother-in-law passed away this this past Monday. Um, you know, we she had been in the hospital and. Uh, uh, Washington Hospital Center sent her home on Friday on hospice, and Monday evening she was with Jesus. And uh, uh, so it's been just a a pretty uh, difficult and and long week. But, you know, one of my enduring memories is always going to be this time one week ago today. Uh, We were in my house. Uh, We knew that my mother-in-law was very ill uh, but she uh, wanted to worship. And so uh, my mother, her and my mother were very close. And uh, for years down in Florida, and now, now that she lived up here, my mother lives here too. She came over and we were all watching you all via Zoom. And uh, my mother-in-law could hardly keep her eyes open. She could hardly do anything, but she was singing with all of her heart. And uh, it was just a precious sight to behold. Uh, and that will stick with me for the rest of my life. I will remember uh, on on her deathbed, how how what she wanted to do was worship the Lord, and uh, she was joining you, and she was doing that uh, one week ago today. Today, however, we are here to worship the Lord, and and, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to preach today. I'm thankful that. Jason asked me over two months ago to preach on this day and not only asked me to preach, but told me, you know, here's what we'd probably like to, to have a sermon about if, if you can do that. And I said, I, w- I would love to preach about that because it's a, a topic that I love to be able to share from God's word about. Uh, but the, the wonderful thing in God's providence is Pastor Jason asked me that so long ago that I had ample time to prepare because I have no idea how I would have prepared a sermon this past week. I probably would have been calling him up and saying, brother, you know, you're going to have to do something because I can't do anything. Uh, but God in his providence allowed it to be as it is. The sermon was already written. And so I'm looking forward uh, to being able to talk about some principles of giving. Uh, that's the topic we're going to be looking at today. The, the passage is second Corinthians, actually two passages, second Corinthians chapter eight and second Corinthians chapter nine. I I'd just like to read a, a brief passage from, from each of those to kick us off today and that we might honor the reading of God's word. Would you please stand with me as I read second Corinthians eight verses one through five and then jump down to chapter nine and read verses five through 12. This is the word of God and this is what it says. We want you to know brothers and sisters about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. By God's will. And now jump down to chapter 9, if you will, and let's pick up in verse 5, where we read, Therefore, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised, so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. The point is this the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. May God be blessed by the reading of his word, and may you be seated as well. You know, if I ever go to the Holy Land, I really, this may sound odd coming from a preacher, I have no desire to go to the Holy Land. I know some of you may be sitting out there saying, that's crazy, who wouldn't want to go to the Holy Land? Well, not me. You know, I just have no desire. There's a lot of places in this world that I want to visit, and the Holy Land, for whatever reason, is just not one of them. But if I ever do go to the Holy Land, there are two places that I definitely want to go and visit. The Sea of Galilee in the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is the sea upon which the Lord Jesus walked. It's the sea upon which he taught from a boat. It's the sea around which he called some fishermen to follow him. The Sea of Galilee is the area where Jesus performed a number of the miracles that we read about in the Gospels. That would be cool to be in that area. I would love to see that and and, and to be there. The, the Sea of Galilee is crystal clear. It's full of fish. It draws its waters from the mountains just north of it, and that that water flows south through the Jordan River where it subsequently reaches its terminal point. At the other place I'd like to go and visit, the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee flows through the Jordan River emptying into the Dead Sea, and it is the polar opposite of the Sea of Galilee in just about every way. Water flows in, but it has nowhere to go. There's no outlet at all from the Dead Sea. Its shore is the lowest point on planet Earth, located 1,419 feet below sea level. So the only escape for water from the Dead Sea is through evaporation. That leaves it with a heavy salt concentration, which is why you'll sometimes see it referred to as the Salt Sea. That fact also means that there's no aquatic life in it at all. Hence the name the Dead Sea, because nothing lives in the Dead Sea. What's the difference between these two seas located not very far apart? Well, the Sea of Galilee takes and it gives, and so it lives. The Dead Sea, however, only takes, it does not give, so it's dead. Giving is necessary for life at its best, and, and today's passage of Scripture tells us how to give. It's, it gives us some giving principles, if you will. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are, are concerned with a, a missionary offering for the Judean church. You know, when the church began the early chapters of Acts... Record this statement in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Uh, some people have erroneously called that Christian communism, and, and that is not what the Bible is is teaching there or, or promoting there. Really, I, th- I think it's just more accurately a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Of, of how we're going to be when when we literally are in the kingdom of God, but as time progressed, Christian charity waned, and the believers began to be in great need. So so great was the need that Paul collected a special offering for their assistance. And so while these chapters, chapters eight and nine, may focus on a, a special offering, which it would be probably pretty similar to what we do at Christmas time with what we call the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. For international missions, or what we do at Easter time with the Annie Armstrong offering that we take for North American missions, it would probably be pretty similar to those. So while this is what the focus of chapter 8 and 9 is, this special offering, they do nonetheless give us some important principles on how to give. These principles were evidenced, Paul says, in the churches of Macedonia that gave to this special offering. And so today I want us to consider these principles, and, and here's why we're having this message today. Here's why I'm preaching on this topic, because from time to time, it's good for a church to review what the scripture says about these kinds of things. We don't do that because the church needs more money. In fact, LBC is a healthy church family with all of its bills paid and with resources to do the ministry that God has called us to do. But we should consider from time to time this issue of giving, because giving is part of the nature of God. And we, as his children, should emulate him as much as possible. I mean, I think of that verse that probably all of us could quote. John 3, 16. What does it say? God so loved the world that he gave. You know, God is a giving God. And so as his people, we are to be giving people. You know, and, and we just simply can't outgive God. And there is a blessing to be received from being a person who emulates the giving God. That we have. And so I want to look at uh, these biblical principles that we see here because understanding the biblical principles of giving becomes a blessing to us. And and so there are six of them that I want us to see today six principles of of giving. First of all, we should give liberally. We should give liberally. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now listen carefully because this might be the only time in the world that you ever hear me propose being a liberal. <laughs> I am a pretty conservative person. You know, I just ask my, my family. They'll tell you I, I'm, I'm conservative politically, I'm conservative economically, and I am certainly conservative theologically. But when it comes to giving, I want to be as liberal as I possibly can. And every one of us should be liberal in our giving. This is what Paul's saying in these opening verses of chapter 8. Notice that we see some amazing contrast in the verses here. Look carefully at verse 2. I'm going to put some contrast up here on the screen. It says, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty, focus on that phrase right there, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. The CSB seems to imply there that, that both their joy and their poverty overflowed in generosity. In fact, just about every translation that you have in your Bibles out there, if you're looking in your Bibles rather than on the screen, just about every translation puts it like that. But the Greek actually presents a little bit of a different scenario, one that's captured well by, by Vincent's word studies uh, that you see up there on the screen. It says, "...how that in much proof of affliction was the abundance of their joy." And their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. I I don't know if you caught the difference there, but the contrast is twofold. It's joy in the midst of affliction and liberality in the midst of poverty. You you see, joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances. That's why the Bible can say, consider it joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. That's James chapter 1 verse 2. James starts his epistle off that way. You know, consider it joy. You're going through a trial. Woo-hoo! You know, consider it joy. We can have the joy of Jesus even in the midst of a difficult situation. Are you going through some trial today? Is there a family member who's been ill and has passed on to glory? That's a trial. But in the midst of that, the Dooleys had joy. The Dooleys had joy. That doesn't mean that it wasn't tough. That doesn't mean that we didn't grieve. Like Paul said to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, we do not want you to grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve, but not as people with no hope, because we have hope in the resurrection. We have hope in Jesus. And that makes all the difference in the world. That's how you can count it joy, joy. Whenever you're experiencing various trials, you know, you can try to deal with your trial alone and experience frustration if you want, or you can allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength as you let Jesus walk with you through that trial. It may seem strange, even paradoxical to the world to, to experience joy in the midst of a trial, but the true believer understands how that can be because we've experienced joy in the midst of our trials. But the second contrast is really more in line with our theme for today, it's possible to be generous even in the midst of experiencing great poverty. Paul even describes it here in verse 2 as extreme poverty. The word he uses... For extreme means to go down to the depths, and the word for poverty comes from the root word for beggar. In other words, what he's saying is that the Macedonians, whom he's praising for their generous giving to the Judean churches in this special offering that he's receiving, those those Macedonians were not well to do folk. But even though they were poor folks, they were generous folks. And they begged for the privilege to be able to give and to take part in this. You see, giving is not dependent upon having. Can I say that again? Giving is not dependent upon having. That's the truth that the Scripture's teaching us here. And you heard Brother Andrew share that with the children in the in the passage that he read from Luke chapter 21, you know, of, of the widow with the two mites. I won't reread that because he read it for us. You know, she had very little, but she gave what she had, and Jesus praised her. And condemned the others. That widow understood liberal giving because, aggregately, her gift was nothing compared to the others, but proportionately, God saw it very differently. We should give liberally because God gives liberally. Let's be liberal givers. But not only should our giving be liberal, but also we should give willingly as well. We should give willingly. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 8. Of their own accord is the way that it's phrased here in the CSB. The NIV says, entirely on their own. In the King James, we read, they were willing of themselves. What's it saying? It's saying that nobody had to twist these people's arms. Nobody had to make them give. Verse 4 even says that they begged for the privilege to give. No high-pressure appeals, no demands, no threats. They just gave. And, And can I just say, can I just pause here and just say, I thank God... Leonardtown Baptist has never been like that. Having to resort to begging and cajoling to getting people to give. During the time that was, I was your pastor, I always knew that if there was a need that, that I knew of, all it took was for me to stand here and say, here's a need that I'm aware of. And you know what you did every single time you stepped up and you gave to that need and you meet that need. Some of, some of you are sitting here having your needs met by this church family. This past week, we had needs met by this church family. We had food brought to our house. We had calls. We had cards. We had texts. We had emails. We had comments. We had more support than you can ever imagine. This is what Leonardtown Baptist does. They meet needs. You demonstrated that over and over, multiple times over the years. And likewise, you did that before I was your pastor. And you've done that since I've been your pastor as well. Uh, you know, I, I well remember if we're thinking about churches, and you're not the only church. You know, there are other churches that that, that are good like that. I remember the very first church I served. I was fresh out of college, twenty one years old, serving as a youth pastor. I hadn't been there long before this deacon in the church came to me, and he started talking to me about giving. He told me how early in his Christian walk he didn't give, and many people told him that he should give. He said. But he just didn't, and this is the phrase he used. I still remember it to this day, all these years later, almost forty years later. He said, "I wasn't willing," and, and, and he went on and, and he said, "I had to be convinced by God," and and when God convinced me, I became willing, and I haven't turned back. He said. Now maybe he was telling me that because I was young, I was just getting started, fresh out of college, young adult, and and he was just trying to pass on some advice. But you know, the the truth is. You know, I I already believed in giving, and I already intended to practice being a giving person. You know, even though I was just getting started out as as a young adult. But I, I'll I'll tell you what that that kind of cemented that conviction in my heart. That brother telling me that just really cemented that conviction in my heart. He he said it took God convicting me of it, and then I became willing, and I've never turned back. I've been giving ever since and what a blessing it's been to me to be a, a person who gives you know i i i believe in giving i practice giving you know but that man's conviction like i say fully seamed that conviction in my heart and it has for 39 years now i don't say that to brag except to brag on god and to say that he is always taking care of me alone for the first two years after that event. And then me and Karen and our our family, you know, at the different phases along the way for the past 37 years. Let's make sure that we are giving liberally, but let's make sure that we are giving willingly as well, that we've been convinced by God that this is a good thing, a healthy thing, and that we desire to be able to give. We should give liberally. We should give willingly. But thirdly, we should give spiritually. Look at the fifth verse of chapter 8. It says, And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. What a verse. I I think this is a key. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Listen to what A.T. Robertson says. He points this out as the the explanation of of their generous giving. That's what he says. This is the explanation of their generous giving. And, And I personally think it explains something that many people face today could it be and maybe this applies to you could it be that people are hesitant to give because they've not first given themselves fully to the lord maybe you're hesitant to give to god today because you've not truly given everything in your life to the lord commentator matthew henry says quote when we give ourselves to the lord we then give him all we have to be called for and disposed of according to his will, end quote. And folks, that certainly includes our finances as well. When we've given ourselves to God, he owns our bank account. He owns our pocketbook. He owns what we do with all, all the resources that we have. Over the years, I've been in ministry 39 years now. Over the years, I've heard a number of different justifications for not giving. Justifications like, well, I can't afford it. Or the church doesn't need my money. Or... I need to save for a rainy day. Have you ever used any of those excuses? What God desires for each of us is to give ourselves wholly to him. And when he has all of us, that includes our pocketbook. And it's at that point that our giving can then be spiritual because we belong to God. I love what Warren Wiersbe says in this regard. He says, quote, Spiritual giving is biblical giving. If Christians do not bl- bring tithes and offerings to the local church, then their hearts are not in the ministry of the local church. Individual giving other than to the local church is certainly allowed. For Paul received help from many individual. But our first obligation is to the church where we fellowship and serve, end quote. I think there is so much truth in that. There is absolutely nothing wrong with giving To other organizations. Karen and I have a number of other organizations that we believe in the mission of those organizations, and we support those organizations. We give to Young Life, we give to InterVarsity, we give to our missionary friends who are serving in Bangladesh and support a ministry there for young ladies coming out of uh, slavery, basically. It's called Light of Hope. We try to support as many requests for mission trips as, as we can. I wish we gave to every single person who said, I'm going on a mission trip. Can you help me? But we don't give to everyone, but we give to many of them. There are other ways that we donate our finances in charitable fashion too. But easily, easily, the vast majority of our giving goes to Leonardtown Baptist Church. This is our home church. And we believe in the ministry of Leonardtown Baptist Church. Now, I know it's easy when you've been a pastor of a church for someone to say, of course you give to the church. The church takes care of your family. Well, you don't anymore. And, and we give just as much, if not more, than we ever gave because we believe in the ministry of Leonardtown Baptist Church. What we are doing together is is worthy of support. And so I'm here to say that it is a pleasure for me you know, to give my tithes and offerings to Leonardtown Baptist Church. You know, we have made a spiritual decision to support the church financially with our giving. LBC doesn't get what's left, if there is any, when everything else is paid for. Rather, the church gets our first fruits. The first portion of our income comes to LBC as a part of our spiritual act of worship through giving. What does that look like practically? Let me illustrate using my own personal budget in general. I I know what my paycheck looks like every month. I get paid on a monthly basis, so I've developed a monthly budget. I take the amount I make, and from that amount, I deduct the amount that Karen and I have determined to give to LBC. That amounts the first fruits. Our giving to the Lord is the first thing to be considered, and then I take what's left and I divide it up. You know. Um, We gotta have money for gas for our cars. We gotta buy food every month. We gotta save for insurance. You know, Smeco is gonna want their portion, amen? And, you know, they wanna keep driving that price up. And so, we gotta set some money aside for that. And you know, sometimes, you know, we spend more gas than we budget for. You know what we don't do? We don't say, well, we got some money that we were gonna give to the church, to the Lord, so we'll use that. That's off limits. We find another way to take care of that because that is our first fruits. And that is the very first commitment that we have. That's spiritual giving. We should give liberally. We should give willingly. We should give spiritually. But there's a fourth principle to consider today as well. And that is that we should give generously. For these next three principles, we need to jump down to chapter 9. Look at verses 5 and 6 of that chapter. Verse 5 talks about a generous gift. In the New American Standard, it's called a bounteous gift. It's an interesting word that's used there. It's it's the Greek word eulogia, which literally translates to good word. It's where we get our English word eulogy from. I would venture to say that nobody has ever been to a funeral and heard a negative eulogy. How often do you go to a funeral and hear the person speaking, saying things like, you know, this guy was a scoundrel. He was so mean. He cheated others. If ever there was anybody who deserved to die, it was this man right here. You know, if we heard something like that at a funeral, we would probably get up and walk out, and rightly so. That's just not what you do at a funeral. Eulogies, by their very nature, are positive, and that's how our giving should be. It should be a positive experience, both for the giver and the recipient. Generous giving is a positive experience. Notice how Paul illustrates this. He, he uses an agricultural illustration. In verse 6, he says, The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. I learned the, the truth of that verse the first year I ever planted a garden. I tilled up the soil. I shaped the rows, and I got my seed packets, and I looked at it, and it, it told me to, to plant a seed every two inches. And then it told me after it got so high to thin it to every six inches. And I remember asking somebody else, what does that mean to thin it? I like, just pull it up and throw it aside. I'm like, you got to be kidding. I'm supposed to take a, a perfectly good plant and pull it up and throw it aside. There's no way I'm going to do that. So I devised an ingenious plan. I knew what I was going to do. Eventually I had to get to every six inches for my plants. So instead of planting every two inches, I planted one seed every six inches And I said, man, I'm going to get three times the harvest because I'm going to use every seed. And then the plants started coming up. And what I noticed is I had these three and four foot gaps in my rows because seed didn't sprout. And I I came to learn that that's why you put a lot in and then you sometimes have to thin, but sometimes the misses make up for what's there. And you still get the, the maximum harvest that way. You see, what I had done that first year is I had sowed sparingly. And so as a result, I also reaped sparingly. And that principle applies to our giving as well. How can we reap a bountiful financial harvest in our life if we're not willing to sow financial seed? I'm not talking about the kind of seed sowing that's promoted by prosperity preaching that we've probably all heard on TV and and seen, which really isn't preaching, but it's more manipulation, you know, where it's, you know, sow a seed, which means send me money, and, you know, if you send me X amount of dollars and God is, is going to bless you, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You know, spiritual giving and, and biblical giving is not investment giving. We don't give to the Lord in order to receive. Now, one of the advantages is we receive a blessing. You know, but if, if you are giving money to God, expecting that God's going to give you three times back, that's not how it works. We don't give in order to receive. We give in order to be a blessing. To others, to help the gospel spread to the far ends of the earth. The so much reap much illustration Paul's using here is not an investment promise. It's a kingdom principle that allows God to work in our life. We need to learn to give generously if we want to unleash God's blessing in our lives. Remember this. Just remember this. Our withholding from God doesn't impoverish him. He owns it all anyway. And so when we fail to give, we're not impoverishing God. We're simply impoverishing ourselves. We're stealing from ourselves the blessing that could have come to us if we would have just given back to, to the Lord from all that he's blessed us with. We need to be generous givers. There's a fifth principle that we see here, and that is that we should give thoughtfully. Look at verses 7 through 10. Paul uses the word decide it. In verse 7 there, the word has to do with giving preference to one thing over another. He's saying that our giving should take preference over the other things of life. It should take preference over entertainment. It should take preference over political contributions. It should take preference over eating out. It should take preference over impulse purchases. I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong to spend money on. I'm simply saying biblical giving is thoughtful, decided giving. We have to have priorities in what we're going to do with the money that God has entrusted us with. And part of that includes deciding in advance that we are going to give liberally, willingly, spiritually, generously to the work of the kingdom. And and, and let me just return for just a second to that issue of impulse giving. Giving should never be a matter of impulse. I sometimes see this. You know in settings that I'm in uh someone stands up and makes an appeal, and the appeal's very emotional, and people dig deep and man, they really give generously to that you know well, the converse of that's true as well. there are going to be times when we don't feel like giving, and if our if our giving is only based on emotion and and the appeal was strong enough. Whenever the appeal's not very strong and we don't feel like giving, if we haven't decided in our heart what we're going to do, you know what we end up doing? Nothing. Because can I just be honest with you? There have been times, even while I was your pastor, and since I've been your pastor, that I've looked at situations we've been facing in our life, and I've thought, man, maybe I should just take a week or two off of giving to the Lord. Maybe I should just use that money elsewhere. I've never done that. Why? Because I had decided in my heart what I was going to do in advance. And once we've decided in our hearts what we're going to do, we will follow through. And we will do that. Our giving should be prayerfully and carefully thought out. I don't know what that's meant or means currently for you, but I can only speak for me. Again, not trying to brag. I'm just talking about the only person I've ever known, me. When I was in college... I worked in the orange groves of Florida, made a whopping $3 an hour. Some of you are thinking, oh, my word, that must have been back in the Stone Ages. It probably probably was. You know, $3 an hour. And you know what I did with that? I gave. I gave money to my home church that I was going to at that time. One summer, I remember when I was in college, I moved up to a construction job. And, man, they paid me $5.50 an hour. I thought I had hit the big time. I thought, you know, a college kid, you know, what's he gonna do with all this money? And I still gave. Then I graduated and I went to the first church that I served out of college. I made a whopping $15,000 per year. You know, that, that doesn't, that seems like nothing now. And let me tell you, it wasn't very much back in the 80s either. Uh, it's probably li- a little bit more than it would be today, but still, you know, it wasn't very much. It was a struggle. It was tough. I was living at mom and dad's house. That was the only way I was able to survive. But I still gave. Karen and I got married. We moved to North Carolina for me to attend seminary. I began working at a golf course. It was back to $3.35 an hour. And I still gave in the midst of that. Eventually, I graduated. I got a job at a church working full time, making a decent salary. We continued to give. Giving has always been a part of our life. Why? Because Karen and I decided in our hearts that giving was going to be standard operating procedure for us. It was a thoughtful decision on our part. That's how giving should be for each of us as well. It should grow out of a deep conviction of our soul. If you don't think you could ever give that way, would you look at verse 8 with me? Look at verse 8. Paul says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Giving is a grace and giving is a discipline. It's not a matter of what we can do, but it's a matter of what God can do. I think that's illustrated well in both the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000, two of the... Miracle accounts in Scripture. In each case, if you remember that story, the disciples grumbled. And they simply said, we just, we can't feed this many. We just don't have what it takes to feed this many people. And in each case, Jesus seemed to ignore them and simply said, how many loaves do you have? And then he took what they perceived to be too little supply and met what they perceived to be too great of a demand. And left them just scratching their heads saying, whoa, how did he do that? That's what God does for us whenever we give thoughtfully. It's like what Paul Powell says about the feeding of the 5,000 in his book, taking the stew out of the stewardship. This is what he says, quote, It was as if Jesus was saying, I'm not interested in what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. Don't tell me what you can't get. Show me what you've got. Give it to me. Let's see what we can do with it. He took their insufficiency and made it sufficient. He took their inadequacy and multiplied it into an abundance, end quote. This is what God does for us whenever we give thoughtfully. We should give liberally. We should give willingly. We should give spiritually. We should give generously. And we should give thoughtfully. But would you notice finally today that we should give thankfully as well? Verses 11 and 12, Paul says that our giving, excuse me, our giving produces thanksgiving to God. Why does that happen? It happens because we see what God does with our gifts. We see the positive results of our giving, and that makes us thankful. I've heard it said before there are three kinds of giving, grudge giving, duty giving, and thanksgiving. But let me rephrase that in a way that I think is more in keeping with the principles that we've talked about today. There are three ways In which we can give. First of all, we can be a tearful giver. That means to give grudgingly and reluctantly. We hold that gift, and when the plate goes by, we frown as we drop it in, and we're thinking, man, that could have been a meal at the Outback. Or, well, there goes that new pair of shoes I was thinking about buying. In verse 7, Paul specifically says our giving shouldn't be like that, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. He says, don't be a tearful giver. Another way we can give is we can be a fearful giver. That means to be scared that God's going to punish us if we don't give. Folks, can I just say to you today that God's not like that. God's not up there looking down as those plates go by thinking, got that one. Oh, I'm marking that one right there. They didn't give. I'm going to get them. Trouble's gonna come that one's way. God doesn't operate that way. And and we shouldn't operate that way. We shouldn't be fearful givers. It, it's sort of like what Paul said in Romans six one. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? If you know the thought being if grace covers our sin, why not just keep sinning so that God can keep pouring out grace upon grace? But Paul answers his own rhetorical question in the very next verse and says, Certainly not. We don't keep sinning because grace covers our sin, and we don't withhold our giving because God is an vengeful God who's going to punish us if we don't give. We shouldn't be fearful that God's going to punish us if we don't give. Don't be a tearful giver and don't be a fearful giver. Instead, we need to be this third kind of giver. We need to be a cheerful giver. We need to give to God out of gratitude for his blessings in our life." This is precisely what Paul says here in verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is the Greek word hileros, which is where we get our word hilarious from. The thankful giver is a hilarious giver, not hilarious as in funny or strange, but rather as in bubbling over with gratitude for the privilege of being able to give to God's work. Gratitude is a great motivating factor for giving. Does your giving produce thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. We should give, thankfully. You know, if you follow golf, you may know the name Chichi Rodriguez. He was a well-known golfer in the 60s and 70s. He's been retired for years now, but he was always a great showman. But Chichi Rodriguez grew up in poverty in Puerto Rico. He lived in a tiny 10-room shack. And one of the stories I remember hearing him tell one time is how as a child, he and his family were woken up one night at 2 a.m., they all heard a noise out back, and his father got, out, got up and went outside to find a man with a machete in their banana grove that was the primary source of food that was used to feed the family. The man was there looking for food himself, and, and he wasn't a very good burglar because he made all kinds of racket, all kinds of noise. Rodriguez said his father looked at him and said, Give me that machete. And surprisingly, the man handed the machete over. And Chi-Chi's father took that machete and he chopped off a bunch of bananas and then he cut it in half. He handed half of them to the man. And he said, from now on, whenever you want something, just come to my door and ask. I'll go get what you need, but you can bet I'm going to leave some for my own family. Rodriguez said that, impact, that event greatly impacted his life. He said it taught him an important lesson. And that lesson was that takers eat well, but givers sleep well. When it comes to the thing of things of God and supporting the work of God, let me ask you today, are you a taker or are you a giver? Remember, it's not what you do with the million, if fortune should there be your lot, but what are you doing at the present with the dollar and the quarter that you got? What are you doing? Now, as I said earlier, and I want to end with this. God gave us his all when he gave us his son, Jesus. We should give because it's in the nature of God to give, and we're made in His image. But let's understand today why God gave. Why did God give us Jesus? Well, He did that because we had no hope without Him doing that. The Bible says that we are all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6. Indeed, our sin puts us in a tenuous position. More accurately, our sin puts us in an eternally dangerous position because it separates us from a holy and a righteous God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin is death. Who pays that penalty? Well, you can pay it yourself by spending eternity separated from God in hell. Or you can realize and believe that the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago upon Calvary's cross was a substitutionary death. He died in your place, paying the penalty for your sin. His shed blood canceled the debt of your sin, which is why when he was on the cross, he's recorded to have said in John's gospel, it is finished. It is finished, a Greek phrase that literally means the debt has been paid in full. Jesus paid it all, all to him I own. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And after he died, they put him in a grave and he defeated death by rising from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death and securing salvation once and for all for those who would trust in that atoning death. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is why God gave his son, so that we could be saved. Have you trusted him today? If if you want to experience the joy of giving, by all means be a giver. But you can't really be a giver until you are first a receiver, having received the grace of God in Jesus Christ that enables you to be a giver. So will you trust him today? We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing one more song we sing that song, I'll be down front, our other elders will be down front. If you need to come in response to the leading of God's Spirit and whatever way that is, we want to invite you to do that. You may want to come and publicly profess faith in Jesus. Maybe you already profess faith in Jesus and you're ready to unite with this church as they receive members. And you've spoken to one of the elders and you're ready to come publicly and express your desire to be a part of this church. Maybe you need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Maybe you just want to come and kneel at this altar. And just say, "God, help me to be a giver, and you just want to make some changes in your life so you can be a more faithful giver because you realize today that God has given to you, so you want to give back to him and whatever way the spirit of God is speaking to you, as soon as we begin to sing after we pray, we invite you to come let's